This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. The following is sponsored by the Logos Bible Study Platform. Visit Logos.com slash go to get started. And hear more at the conclusion of today's podcast. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin. Uh, my name is Todd Pruitt, uh, one of your two co-hosts as always, and I am joined by my friend and co-host Carl Truman of Grove City College. And we're kind of spread out all over today. Carl in uh, ensconced comfortably in the uh, the hills of western Pennsylvania, myself here in my bunker in the Shenandoah Valley, um, hermetically sealed off from all of the nasty things that are going on in the world. Carl, it's good to see you again. Great to see you too, Todd. And yes, it's very, very peaceful in Western Pennsylvania today. I love living in the kind of the upper reaches of Appalachia, really. Nothing, nothing much happens here. That's right. That's it right. Suits me down to the ground. Carl, just to let, just to let our, our, our folks know that even though Carl is a best-selling author, um, he lives a very, very normal life. And so at any point during this recording, he might have to actually slip out to meet uh, the septic man um, to, to I, I, I hope Western I'm, Pennsylvania problem. I, I hope I'm not getting too personal, but Carl, I want people to know that you still have both feet firmly planted on on the ground, even though you do things like consult with members of Congress these days. You're still a normal human well, being, right? My, my wife has let me down. She's gone to Scotland for three weeks. So oh, okay. Well, first of all, I had to find the washing machine. That was tough enough. Okay. Then I had to work out how to use it. 
And now the septic systems, bro. I, I think it's perfectly timed that everything goes wrong while my my <laughs> wife, who does all this stuff, is right. away. It's, it's right. uh, but I'm coping. I'm coping. That's uh, good. I'm managing That's good. to feed myself, and uh, yeah. so we have a special guest. We today, do. We do. Our guest for? our uh, our guest today is David Limbaugh. Now that name is is certainly familiar with our, a lot of folk with a lot of our folks. David is a lawyer. He's a political commentator. He's a nationally syndicated columnist. I, I, I know many of our folks have no doubt. Um, read some of his columns or some of his published books. He's uh, published books under the title such as Jesus on Trial, um, The True Jesus, Jesus is Risen. Obviously, Mr. Limbaugh has uh, some uh, affection and acquaintance with Jesus, and that's why he's on the program today. But but another important thing about our guest, David Limbaugh, is that he's a son of Missouri. Now, the reason why that matters to me is that both of my parents are from Missouri and my wife is from Missouri as well. Um, David Limbaugh is from Cape Girardeau, and it's it's flyover country, but us folks that have roots in Missouri, we, we happen to be very fond of flyover country. Um, but we, uh, we're we here to, uh, to talk to David today about his latest book um, that he shares authorship with his daughter, Kristen. And the title of the book is The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How are things in Missouri these days? Very good. You know, it used to be flyover country until Rush brought his private jet in here. He flew <laughs> here. He landed here. So it was flying over, but landing here. So, so it's a little bit. He gave us distinction that way, too. That's right. And, and Rush kind of he kind of put Cape Girardeau on the map, right? Yes, he did. Very yeah. much. So. I appreciated the uh, you, you have a very moving introduction to the book and you dedicate it to, to your brother and, and, and to his fans. And it's it's very it's very kind and it's very gracious, but also a reminder of, I think, the impact you had on on his life. And I remember at various times over the years listening to him when he would mention you, and he would always he tend to would always mention your Christian faith. He clearly respected you for that because he spoke of you in that way, and you clearly had um, an impact um, on his life in that way. And it was very moving to read that. I appreciated you including that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Now, um, the book itself, this isn't your first book where you explore um, the scriptures and, and write for a popular audience um, about what we learned about Christ in the New Testament. Um, tell me, where, where did this book come from? What was the genesis of this book for you? Well, this is the fifth Christian theme book. The first, real quickly, first was Jesus on Trial, which was a, a chronicling of my faith journey from skeptic to believer and also an apologetic. I give the mm -hmm. reasons that I became a Christian in defense of the faith. Second was the Emmaus Code, Jesus and the Old Testament, prophecies and the rest of it. Mm -hmm. third, third was the true Jesus, which was a chronological compendium of the Gospels, going through all the Gospels, but consolidating them, <clears throat> hopefully in a, an understandable form. The fourth, the last one was Jesus is Risen, which was uh, going through the book of Acts, and the first six of Paul's epistles. And this one is the last seven of Paul's epistles, the prison epistles, the ones he wrote when he was under house arrest in Rome, and the pastoral epistles that he wrote to his colleagues, Timothy and Titus. And what we do in, in the last book and in this book, go through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, either stating the text verbatim or paraphrasing, then adding commentary, our own and our own insights, and, and also commentary from all kinds of commentators, theologians, Bible scholars. Uh, and then we add the one element in this that I haven't done before, 
which is to sprinkle prayers in the text mm-hmm. uh, a lot. I mean, every you know, every three or four pages, we have a prayer. And Kristen was the primary author of those prayers, but we interacted and edited each other's stuff. She edited mine, I edited hers, and we contributed content back and forth that way. Yeah. And in terms of title, you know, one of the things that um, I, I know you touch on in here, and, and even though I don't always agree with N.T. Wright, one of the things he's absolutely right about is that from the very beginning, Christianity was was an Easter faith. Like you don't have Christianity and you don't have the church without the absolute conviction of those very first Christians that Jesus is risen. Well, and that's no original thinking from N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. as brilliant right. as he is. Paul said without the res- resurrection, Christians are most to be pitied because mm-hmm. we're all we're doing this absolutely for nothing. If, right. if there was no bodily resurrection, there's no Christianity. Jesus right. was a fraud. Jesus was a hoax. Jesus really uh, he became a human being for no reason. Of course, the whole idea is absurd. If God was able uh, to make his son a human being and be 100% human and 100% God at the mm-hmm. same time, uh, he surely could resurrect him, which he right. did. Right. Yeah. And that's been one of the things that puzzles me so much about liberal Protestants who, who on the one hand, they want a category for the supernatural, and yet when it comes to the actual supernatural acts of God, like the virgin conception and the bodily resurrection of Christ, they 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 suddenly get really embarrassed by that, it seems. Well, I, I really don't understand the point. How, how can you <laughs> not believe in the supernatural, and how can you possibly reject miracles and be a Christian? I don't see the point. Is it virtue? Is it glorified virtue signaling? Mm-hmm. Look at me. I'm a Christian. I'm a if you don't believe, if you don't embrace this, in my view, you're not really a Christian. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying that's the whole point of Paul's, not the whole point, but the main thrust of so many of these gospels is to reprimand and correct and discipline these churches that were straying from the gospel and getting them back on track and calling out the false teachers. If, if someone denies the supernatural nature of so many of these things, how can that person really believe? and embrace the gospel. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it. Jesus said he was truth, and we're supposed to defend the truth. Yeah. Uh, Jay Gresson Machen, in, in the early part of the 20th century, in contrasting Christianity with, with Protestant liberalism, you know, said what you have here are two different religions. And uh, this man, of course, very erudite, great education, elite education professor at Princeton Seminary, a, a renowned New Testament scholar, um, said, Look, Christians are just going to have to accept the fact that we have a supernatural worldview. And if you're embarrassed by that, then you're going to have to opt for another religion because an unsupernatural Christianity is a different religion. And he was absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, I have difficulty even getting my mind wrapped around the idea. Yeah. And I don't know why you would want to waste your life dedicated to a, a religion whose tenets you really don't believe in. Yeah. What a waste of time. All these critical scholars, they're, they're so full of pride and they're so, I'm sure they're so brilliant, but they're also ultimately lost mm-hmm. because they don't accept the thrust of so many things that are essential to the faith, in my view. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, David, if I mean, we talk there about the resurrection, it seems to me that one of the big challenges coming to the church today is not so much on the, the issue of the supernatural doctrines of the faith, but it's the moral vision of the faith. That of course is is grounded very much in in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if you could speak a little about how you see your books, and particularly this book, as speaking to the moral vision of Christians. I you know the kids I teach at Grove City College, 
many of them are good Christian kids. Nobody's going to wander into my office and say, Dr. Truman, I'm really doubting the resurrection at this point. But they might come into my office and say, Dr. Truman, I'm, I'm struggling with the traditional Christian approach to sexuality or marriage or, or gender or something like that. How, how do you see the New Testament uh, speaking to those kind of things? I'm asking, in some ways, moving a little bit away from the book at this point, but one of the things I liked about the book was I did feel the moral vision of the New Testament is there. And that really is very important, I think, for Christians to, to grasp, for the Christian imagination to grasp today. Hmm. Well, I don't know if this is a direct response. Uh, it's intended to be, but you can tell me if it's not. I, uh, I believe that the New Testament and the Old Testament are integrated. They're part of one integrated book and God's love story of, of man with mankind. You're almost Presbyterian there, by the way. You're, so, right. clo- you're so close to being a Presbyterian. Anyway, That's interesting. You know, so, 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 so God created mankind uh, knowing that we would fall and knowing that when we did fall, the only way he could redeem us it would be, or at least the best way, would be if he would uh, have his son become a human being, come to earth, suffer the indignities of humanity, and, and be persecuted and tortured and killed, and then die and be resurrected for us so that those with faith in him could, could live eternally with him and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so I think there is a affirmation in the New Testament of all the principles of the Old Testament. It's integrated. The, the old is, a fo- is foundational to the new. And so that these ideas of God's created order, uh, he created man and woman, man and woman, he created them. Jesus directly affirmed that. And so when you have this modern culture that says that somebody can identify as whichever, that's my dog, Teddy, back there, who's <laughs> apparently not a Christian, uh, who, 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 if you say you can identify as a man or a woman, you are uh, in rebellion against God's created order. He created us specific, gender specific. And also uh, for, for people to claim that they can be whatever they want on a turn of a dime also negates the idea of our identity in Christ. And it makes us all a bunch of mini narcissists to say, I can just do whatever I want. I identify on the basis of race, gender, and I can flip it on and off anytime I want. Christians are supposed to find their identity in Christ, knowing that God loves them. He chose them from the beginning of time. Oh gosh, I'm bordering on Calvinism. Oh, you're good. You're going good. You're great. And, and, <laughs> and that, that, uh, we are special because God loved us. He chose us. We didn't choose him. Oh, my gosh. Again, I apologize. Sound right on, and and uh, so that we get our identity in Christ and knowing him. We don't just fabricate it. And that trivializes so much of what Christianity is about. So I'm probably not the best person to interact with with young people or any other Christians who claim that they can rewrite the religion on the spot. You know, I don't like activist Supreme Courts, and I don't act like activist Christians who don't, I don't mean I dislike them personally, I don't like the process of not taking the Bible as the Word of God. I believe it's the inerrant Word of God. I believe that if someone came to me with that idea, I would say, these are eternal truths uh, in the Bible. We should not force the Bible to conform to the ever-changing culture. It should be the other way around. The, cult, the Bible should influence culture. Uh, and these truths are eternal. Today, the left is assaulting everything that's good and, and decent. It is assaulting the language. It is assaulting right or wrong. It's glorifying evil. 
And I can't countenance that. And I don't think the Apostle Paul would stand for it for one second. Those of us who are in, in a position of authority over anyone or people look up to us because of our age or, or in your case, because you're a professor, I think we have a duty to stand firm and do it lovingly and winsomely, but, but don't yield. Don't say in an effort to please man or not to hurt someone's feelings that they can remold Christianity. We've got, because you're not, you're not doing them any favors. You're steering them away from God to the extent that you, you soften or dilute the principles the Bible lays out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah. I probably messed up that answer, but no, I don't know if that's no, one of the, And one of the things I like about the book actually is uh, the prayers you include, because what they do is they, they draw the reader to look out from themselves. I think even a lot of Christian prayer today can be very self-absorbed. I like the fact that you intersperse prayers within the text and ultimately, I wouldn't say point away from the text. I don't mean that to draw people away from the Bible, but make people realize that the Bible is actually a way of drawing people's eyes heavenwards. Paul says you to dwell on the things that are above. How did you come to write the prayers, David? Were they a, a joint exercise with your daughter? Uh, what, what was what was driving you as you as you put the prayers together within the book? Uh, that was Kristen's primary. Um, Responsibility. I mean, she also interacted with me on the text, and we went back and forth and co-edited and all that, cross-edited. But she, I would get every few pages when I made a certain point in the text, or when she did, I would say, "We need a, well, that dog. We need to, we need to have a prayer on this, and asking uh, God to help us understand this certain idea, or asking Him to draw closer to us." So the whole goal is to to familiarize the reader with the Bible, to inspire them to read the Bible themselves. Obviously, our book isn't the Bible. It doesn't purport to be. But those of us who take on the task of teaching at whatever level, and we're obviously at the lay level, we have a higher calling. We have a higher duty. We're accountable not to rewrite it. Mm -hmm. We have to make our best effort to stay true to the text. But I, I really was proud of her because she has a facility for prayer. She's spirit-filled. And... Uh, she always seems to come up with with creative ways to and, and accessible ways to express uh, her her prayers to God. So she was the primary author of those, and I helped edit them and and you know feedback back and forth. But she's the primary author of those. As I was reading through this, I, first of all, I, I was impressed by um, the level of research clearly that that went into this. Um, and of the people you read, of the scholars you, you consulted, of, of, of the, the research you did, um, I wonder if there, were, if there was anyone, any one or any few um, New Testament scholars that, that you found particularly helpful. Well, you know, I've done this in all my books. I've got Logos Bible software, and I've probably accumulated, yeah. not probably, I have accumulated over 30,000 books, probably over 15 years. And, you know, you all know that they're searchable by all different kinds of ways. So I, yeah. I can have a hundred commentaries on my screen at the same time and toggle through them as to each verse I go through. And um, there are sure. people that are go-tos that I come back and I won't be able to name some. I'll tell you one guy I really like, and I don't know what you who all, what you all think of him uh, is the life application commentary, mm -hmm. Bruce Barton. Um, I think he's mm -hmm. very clear in his writing. I, I like MacArthur. You know, some people don't. He's another Calvinist. I like him a lot. But ironically, most of the 
though I'm not a, a full-blown Calvinist. I'm probably a hybrid Arminian Calvinist, but I, but I believe uh, that some of the Calvinists are by far the best writers and the most accessible scholars. Uh, so, but, but I could, I could go through, I just don't have it when I, I do understand. that in front of me, go through the, the uh, footnotes and tell you, there are so many that yeah. I'm just totally fond of yeah. uh, and, and rely on and trust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I saw that in, in the footnotes. I just saw so many good uh, resources. That was one of the things, because one of the things we, we as a pastor, you know, I, I want to make sure our folks are reading, um, uh, being discerning readers in that way. And I appreciated the people that you were clearly drawing from. You know, uh, I feel like I was mentored well, and, and I, I have I, one gift I do have is discernment. Mm-hmm. I really think I do. And again, that's not bragging because by definition, right. it's a gift. You know, yeah. You, you have Spurgeon. I, I don't know what mm-hmm. you guys think, but I, I think John Stott is great, even though he's not a theologian. I just love him. I'm looking through here. And, and yep. so many of these commentaries. Yeah, Bruce Barton, Bruce Mellick, Moo, you know, Douglas Moo. Yep. He, he, Doug Moo is fantastic. Yeah, and he's with he's prominent in Logos Bible Software. Never met him, never met any of these guys, obviously. Uh, but yeah, so there's so many. And I just, I don't know, I have a sense. I don't, I never trust these far out people on the extreme and i don't know how i was able to get that gift to kind of that antenna to detect who is a who is an extremist and who isn't i mean extremist for the truth is a different thing we're all extremists for the truth that's not what i mean i mean kooky ideas you know sure well and, and you can you can start to tell early on if a scholar is approaching approaching the the biblical text as one who has authority over the text or a scholar who sees himself as being under the authority of the text and that starts to become clear. And, and you know, the people you mentioned, people like John Stott, who was a wonderful, wonderful preacher. And then um, Douglas Moo, who's one of the greatest New Testament scholars out there. These are men who saw themselves as being under the text rather than over it. That's um, a great way to put it. it uh, you know, another guy like Michael Heiser, he wrote The Unseen Realm. I met him through Logos. And you, mm-hmm. you guys might think his ideas are a little out there on The Unseen Realm. But I, I particularly think that this, the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare, if it wasn't obvious before, it sure is today. We see it yeah. every day. And and Paul was very clear in Ephesians about us putting on the whole armor of God. I also mm-hmm. think it's interesting that you alluded to N.T. Wright a minute ago. He said, I don't agree with him in everything, mm-hmm. nor do I. And, and it, everybody says he's the premier scholar on the resurrection. But when he wrote that stuff about the new Paul or what, it, what yep. was it? The new, new perspective on Paul. The new yeah. perspective. That that turns me off. I, anytime mm-hmm. somebody comes up with what they think is a new idea and new, and scholars haven't thought of it, Augustine and Aquinas, nobody ever thought of it. And all of a sudden, in the twenty first century, they come up with it. Nah, nah, I'm just I'm just <laughs> thinking there's something wrong with that person. I don't care how yeah. brilliant they are. That's what yeah. my yeah. tells me. And that yeah, I, that kind of turns me off to the rest of their writing, because, even sure. though even though I sh- it probably shouldn't. No. Well, I, I, we, we try to warn people if, if somebody comes up with something new in theology, uh, you, you ought to go the other direction. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's usually yeah. bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah. David, it's been great having you on the, the podcast today. Who would you just as, as one last question? Who who do you think will most benefit from reading your book? Well, what I hope is with, with the same with all of our all of my books is the the person who is intimidated by the Bible, who just doesn't quite know where to start uh, and doesn't have any familiarity with uh, theologians or biblical scholars, I hopefully, we hopefully bring those to your living room by consolidating the material and 
and and interspersing our our ex our our narrative with those kinds of commentaries so that you'd be familiar. Man, I wish somebody had told me about these amazing people. Some people think they're just esoteric. No, they're just brilliant and they are easy to understand, most of them, but some people will never hear about them. And so I, I love that the fact that we introduce those. And I think that will help people uh, who are not as familiar with the Bible become more familiar, less intimidated, more inspired by the Bible. We want to ignite a passion in people to read the Bible for themselves because we don't we don't presume or pretend to be uh, to write the word of God. We are just writing about the Bible. We think that's a, a healthy exercise if you stay true to to the word. And so that's what we try to do. And again, I want to pat my daughter on the back because her prayers, I think, help the reader interact with the text and help them become closer to God in the process if they take them to heart. Good. It's great, David. Well, thanks very much for joining us today. And indeed, uh, after David has just uh, spoken his book there, if you are interested in, in receiving a copy of David's book, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you can enter for a chance to win a copy. It is a great book. It'll be very useful, I think, both for personal devotions and if you're doing a Bible study, running a Bible study or doing a Sunday school class. It's the kind of book that I think you'll find very clear, very well written very devotional uh, in its orientation, and very wide-ranging in the, in the authors uh, upon which it draws. So thank you for joining us today, David. Uh, say to all of our listeners, uh, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. If you feel led, please make a donation. We are a, a donor-supported podcast. And all that remains for me now is to thank you for joining us today and look forward to being with you all next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Is it mortification of spin? That sounds like you're going after the secular press, which I would yeah. love. <laughs> well, we do at times. We do Just at times. Just a terrible pun, really. Yeah, exactly. So it goes back to a book of essays that Carl wrote, gosh, years ago, right? Yeah. And it's a, it's a play on a work by by John Owen, who was a great uh, Puritan. I got I got all his books too. There you go. So his book, uh, Mortification of Sin. Well, Carl, uh, in taking on some of the political. Um, silliness that goes on in the world today kind of coined this phrase mortification <laughs> of spin and so that's cool that's cool yeah. Yeah, i hope you don't mind me asking but then now no, I know. absolutely no. yeah i did and, want to call it originally yeah. houses of the holy but led zeppelin <laughs> we're going to charge us too much to use them <laughs> according to a recent survey 30 percent of evangelical churchgoers want more in-depth teaching if you want to go deeper into the word Logos is the Bible study platform for you. Logos fuses powerful technology with biblical resources. Access Bibles, search tools, commentaries, seminary level courses, even audiobooks right on your phone, tablet, or desktop. 
Logos offers nearly 200,000 digital books from the world's top publishers. Logos editions have been turbocharged with powerful data that connect them with the rest of your library. So whether you're comparing Bible translations, tackling tough topics, or studying deep theological issues, Logos has you covered. Dig into the original language resources without even knowing Greek or Hebrew, and Logos will even help you pronounce the words. Pastors and scholars like John Piper, Matt Chandler, and Eric Mason use Logos in their study and sermon prep. Get started with Logos today for just $49. Go to logos.com go. That's logos.com go. 